He was in love, and people do crazy things for love. We have wars in this world over love. Elizabeth said, she told me, that one of the things that attracted her to him was his evil side. I've read letters that she's written where she liked to torment men for their lust and make them hate themselves for loving her. I think that's exactly what she's accomplished here. The famous last lines of the Charles Dickens novel A Tale of Two Cities made a deep impression on Yen Soaring as a teenager. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest I go to than I have ever known. The protagonist, Sidney Carton, says these words as he awaits his death after volunteering his own life to save the life of his true love's husband, a noble sacrifice made for the woman he loved. That's how Yen says he felt about confessing to murders he did not commit in order to protect the woman he loved, Elizabeth Haysom. There's no question Yen's wanted to be the hero of the story, but did he set out to accomplish that by killing her parents or by falsely taking the blame? Elizabeth has also used her own classic literature reference to symbolize her role in the crime, comparing herself to Lady Macbeth a woman who goads her husband into committing murder and is then tortured by guilt and remorse. But did Elizabeth take a more active role than she's admitting to? It's been more than three decades since Nancy and Derek Hasem were brutally stabbed to death in their home in Bedford County. But Jens and Elizabeth seem trapped in the Shakespearean tragedy, sparring over who gets to write the final act. Through courtroom testimony, books, and movies, Jens and Elizabeth have each given their version of what happened that night. But reality is easily distorted, with so many voices weighing in, and new evidence to consider. We figured the path to the truth starts with what Elizabeth and Jens were saying to each other before anyone was listening. Jens and Elizabeth were first-year students at the University of Virginia in the fall of 1984. Both had received prestigious academic scholarships to attend the school, and they were living in the same honors dormitory. By Christmas, the two had professed their love for each other, and when they left for the holidays, they stayed connected through lengthy letters filled with flowery prose. Elizabeth, I love you completely, passionately, wholly, Jens wrote. I want to be with you, around you, through you, tied to you, wrote Elizabeth. Jens has described these first months of his relationship with Elizabeth as the happiest days of his life, says his attorney, Steve Rosenfield. Uh, this is a teenager who, when he began his freshman year as an 18-year-old, really had never had a girlfriend, had not had sexual experiences, was really an awkward sort of kid brilliant though he may be, and the most desired woman in the freshman class, an older woman by three years, found him attractive, and they became boyfriend-girlfriend. Classmates confirmed she was charismatic and stood out among the mostly preppy student body at UVA for her punk rock hair and clothes. But while Jens recalls the joy of that early time in their relationship— Jeff Frasier, the forensic psychologist who examined Elizabeth in 2014, says it was not the same for her. She was in pretty bad shape at UVA and was acting out sexually, was 
doing a lot of drugs. I mean, she's incredibly brilliant. I mean, she's super, super smart. So she could probably get by academically just on her native intelligence. But she was an emotional wreck. Both Jens and Elizabeth describe feelings of alienation from their families and complicated relationships with their cold, controlling parents. But in each other, they appeared to find a kindred spirit. In a letter Elizabeth writes to Jens about the self-hatred she felt. For years I have been despising myself, and you changed that. You cared with outbursts. You made me feel like a young girl again, with a sun in her eyes and not a moon between her legs. You were always caring and just caring. And Jens writes about an absence of love in his life before Elizabeth. I guess I wanted to be overwhelmed, worn out by your love, covered with kisses until I can no longer refuse and return them. A lifelong, well, 18-year deficit in love paid up. Well, for Jens Soaring, he could hardly study. He could hardly breathe. He was so in love with Elizabeth Hasem who we now know was uh, very skilled at manipulating men in general and Yen Suring uh, specifically. Frasier agrees. Elizabeth was calling the shots in the relationship. She did indicate that he was pretty much eating out of her hand and that she manipulated him quite a bit. I mean, that he was pretty smitten with her. I think she's a lot smarter than him. And I think uh, she could kind of just get him to do whatever she wanted. And in, in that state of mind that she was in, he would have been sort of the ideal boyfriend, ideal foil for her. Why would he be ideal for her? Because she needed control. She was in a tenuous state. She couldn't have tolerated someone that pushed back a lot with her. It would have created a lot of additional emotional dysregulation. She needed somebody that was compliant, that adored her that, you know, ate out of her hand kind of thing. The lengthy letters written between Jens and Elizabeth over Christmas break in 1984 also held dark fantasies. Elizabeth writes, My father and I cut down cedars for Christmas presents. Would it be possible to hypnotize my parents, do voodoo on them, will them to death? And Jens responds, By the way, yes, voodoo, etc. is possible. In a real sense, we are the victims. I will explain in person. Prosecutors say the letters show Jens and Elizabeth planned her parents' murders months in advance and that Jens carried out the crime. But Jens disputes that. In one of his books, A Far, Far Better Thing, written years after the trial, Jens describes his loneliness and depression over that Christmas break of his freshman year of college and how he was having an identity crisis. He explains the talk of voodoo. I concluded that Elizabeth's fantasy of doing voodoo on her parents was her way of using humor to gain emotional distance from her anger. So he says he played along. But in his book, Jens does not address several other damning excerpts from his letter, like this one. My God, how I've got the dinner scene planned out. Unfortunately for you, result, Dad might leave me all his loot. Don't worry, everything I have, am, or could become is already yours. I mean that. And another one also seems to foreshadow the crime. There have been many burglaries in this area recently, Elizabeth writes. And then Jens responds, The fact that there have been many burglaries in the area opens the possibility for another one with the same general circumstances. Only this time the unfortunate owners 
dot, dot, dot. In late March 1985, just a few months after those letters were written, Derek and Nancy Hasten were slaughtered in their home at the dinner table. It was so gruesome, investigators early on explored the possibility of voodoo or a cult killing. A few weeks after the murders, before they were considered suspects, Jens and Elizabeth appeared to have an argument, and Elizabeth wrote Jens a note. Please, my darling Jens, try and understand. I don't want your sacrifice to be the burden to either of us, and nor do I want for our love to slip away. But what was his sacrifice? A murder or an agreement to take the blame? Jens and Elizabeth had started their second year at the University of Virginia in the fall of 1985, when investigators in Bedford interviewed Jens for the first time. He met with them, but balked when they asked for his fingerprints. And then the couple fled. They continued writing in a joint diary of their escape. In one of the first entries, Elizabeth writes, The case is about to be solved. Perhaps fingerprints on the coffee cup used by Jens in Bedford interview gave him away. While that seems to imply that Jens feared his fingerprints had been matched to the crime scene, supporting Elizabeth's claim that he did the killings, Jens offers a different explanation in his book, insisting that the entry had been written by Elizabeth as insurance in case they were arrested. He says Elizabeth was planting evidence against him, but he had already promised her he would take the blame for the crime. He writes, The normal reaction to such deception would be anger, I suppose, but I only felt guilt. Somehow I must have given Elizabeth reason to doubt me. When they were arrested in London on fraud charges in the spring of 1986, Jens and Elizabeth were evaluated by psychiatrists who concluded there existed a folie deux between the couple, which means a shared madness where two people believe the same delusions or hallucinations. In this case, there's no dispute that Jens had fallen under Elizabeth's spell. Investigators say he killed for her. He insists he only took the fall for her. The love letters continued with Jens and Elizabeth passing notes during court appearances in London. One note from Jens to Elizabeth in September of 1986 contains legal advice about what she should say to the lawyer they shared and seems to show Jens attempting to take control of the situation. When discussing things with him, the best attitude to take is to ask him what I've said and then second the motion. Just play along. Getting me to Germany is not only important for my survival, but also to you. What type of conviction and sentence you'll get. If he was going to take the fall for her, why did he seem convinced that she'd also be going to prison? The spell between Jens and Elizabeth was broken by the spring of 1987, about two years after the murders. Elizabeth was back on U.S. soil and voluntarily gave Bedford deputies all the letters she received from Jens while incarcerated. She pleaded guilty to being an accessory before the fact in both of her parents' murders, and she took the stand as a witness for the prosecution, testifying against Jens, she said the turning point for her was seeing the pictures of her parents' brutal attack. At her sentencing hearing, any loyalty she'd had for him appeared lost. She told the court that Jens was impotent until after the murders, and testified that Jens was such a wimp she couldn't believe he was capable of murder, but said she'd wanted him punished for what he'd done. Perhaps especially painful for Jens, she called his love letters boring and claimed she didn't 
even read them all. Still locked up in London, Jens learned about the testimony through news reports and family. When we interviewed him last year from his prison cell, Jens told us his lover's betrayal was devastating. That for the first time, um, I really sort of uh, started seeing that she had manipulated me and conned me and basically tricked me into destroying my life. And, um, and I just broke down and cried. Too late then, though. We begin tonight with new information on a breaking news story we brought you earlier today. The jaw-dropping decision in the case of Jens Soaring and Elizabeth Haysom. The state parole board has granted both of them parole. 34 years after the crime, both Jens and Elizabeth would be free. Although Jens had been convicted of the more serious crime, two counts of first-degree murder, he got home first. He arrived in Germany on December 17, 2019, to much fanfare. The general consensus there was that he'd been wrongfully convicted. His arrival was front-page news, and he graced the cover of Der Spiegel, Germany's version of Time magazine. In February, Elizabeth was finally released to Canada, where she's a citizen and has family support. Her cousin and confidant, Phyllis Workman, says she's trying to live her life out of the public eye. She right now is just trying to get on with her life. The last email I had from her, she was working from 7.30 to 7.30 and having dinner and going to bed and getting up and working again. She hasn't spoken publicly, but in a letter called Reflections, published online around the time of her release, Elizabeth has scathing words for Jens. As a guilty party, perhaps I am fair game, little different from a woman placed in the stocks at a medieval market square. Nevertheless, in his distorted history, with its needless additional ugliness and salacious mendacity, Jens paints a self-portrait. He has shown himself to be above nothing in the ruthless pursuit of his own ends. Since his trial, Jens has maintained his innocence, saying he gave a false confession. But while he's previously openly accused Elizabeth of being her parents' killers, in the new German interviews, he doesn't make the same claim. In the February Der Spiegel interview, he says he doesn't know who killed them, and he gives similar comments in a TV appearance. Ich war nicht am Tatort. In this interview with the popular German journalist Marcus Lanz, after his release, Jens is asked if Elizabeth told him what happened the night her parents were killed. He pauses and says he can't get into it because of legal issues, but maintains he was not there. Heutzutage lebe ich in Deutschland, ich bin frei und ich unterliege deutschen Gesetzen. In the United States, the First Amendment gives Jens a lot of latitude to publish books and express his opinions and theories about who committed the crime. But German libel laws are different, and even though she's not making public appearances or new statements, Elizabeth is paying attention. Her cousin, Phyllis Workman, says Elizabeth has taken steps to prevent Jens from publicly painting her as a liar. In Germany, there's a law that you cannot defame. It's a felon. And there is an attorney in Germany who is pro bono for Elizabeth. He just has taken up the cause for her. Because Jens, like for instance in one of his books, he says, on the night in which my girlfriend murdered her parents. Well, he can't say that in Germany if it's not true. And so if you've noticed now... 
when he's interviewed, he won't say Elizabeth killed her parents. In the last interview, it was, we'll never know who did it. That's what he told us when we interviewed him a few months after his release. I wish they would have given me a pardon and kept Elizabeth and put pressure on her to tell. It is true. Elizabeth does know who killed her parents. And while Yen says she could point to the real killer or killers, Elizabeth has maintained she's been telling the truth for the past three decades and that Yen's murdered her parents. In her reflections letter, she says while she was in prison, she didn't understand how the media landscape was changing in the outside world and how that could help advance Yen's claims of innocence and his accusations that she is the real killer. I gave very little thought to the emerging power of social media and its ability to create and shape new realities, she writes. I was trying to make sense of the catastrophic disaster of my life, not develop an international brand. I thought what I had done was quite awful enough. It never occurred to me that it could be massaged into something even worse. She feels she served her debt to society. Um, She'll be the first one to tell you that she was involved, she was, that she, she's a criminal because she knew what Yens was capable of when he left D.C. She knew and she feels guilt because she didn't call her parents and say he's coming. That's a lot of her guilt. Yens says he is relieved to be out of prison, but justice has not been served and he can't move on with his life with a wrongful murder conviction hanging over him. His petition to the governor of Virginia for a pardon was denied, and he told us last year when he was still in prison why that's so significant. It matters to me a hell of a lot. It really matters a great deal, okay? I've had arguments with my lawyers about this, because I've actually thought about turning down parole. Because I didn't freaking do this. I did not do this crime. And, you know, they've already taken 33 years, 33 and a half years of my life they've already taken away from me. So there's really not that much freedom left for me. And clearly they don't care because more than three years after the DNA came out, I'm still in prison. Jens insists the new DNA from the crime scene proves his innocence. And he says the only way he can move on is for Elizabeth to come clean or to find the unidentified men who bled at the Haysom crime scene. We've been working hard to do just that. We ruled out one of the drifters, William Shiflett, already. And now we have more evidence that clears someone's name. But that person isn't Jens. Next, on Small Town Big Crime. I got good news. You got good news? I sure do. What did you, did you get it? I took a DNA profile. Now, now is the time to tell the truth. And a new perspective forces us to examine all the evidence again in a new light. All of the facts look together as a whole, harmonized to show that there is no evidence that there were two strangers at the crime scene. Hi, this is Courtney Stewart. If you're enjoying this podcast and appreciate our work, please consider supporting us on Patreon. This type of investigative journalism is labor-intensive and expensive. Rachel and I are working on a new case for season two, and we can't do it without your help. Check out our Patreon page, Small Town, Big Crime. Hi, this is Rachel Ryan. When Courtney and I first started our podcast, we found the perfect place to work and network, Common House in Charlottesville. 
Now people in cities across the country and even around the world can benefit from a Common House membership. With other locations in Richmond and Chattanooga, Tennessee, thousands of creative types, entrepreneurs, and other professionals like you are finding a social club that helps them make new connections, both personal and professional. Each location offers gorgeous, comfortable spaces for conversation, quiet spots for working, and tons of planned activities that spark conversation and networking. A Common House membership also comes with global benefits. You'll get access to dozens of clubs around the world, from San Francisco to London to Auckland to Singapore. Don't just take our word for it. Come check out Common House yourself. And if you spot us there, say hello.